we will begin. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Pastor Josh. Uh, there are many new faces in this room, which is very exciting, as I said before. Uh, I've been a part of Grace Naomi Church for over 25 years. I started here when I was 12. I've watched us grow into uh, the church that we've become. I've been a part of the Waters Campus for over two years, and I absolutely love it here. And, and I love to see you all here. Many familiar faces that I see on Sunday, and love that you get to be part of this. Uh, Bible study is important because it helps us know about God. I have a very deep conviction that we as Christians need to think rightly about God. And I think if we can learn to think rightly of God, it will help us through whatever situation or scenario we'll face. Unfortunately, life is not fair. It throws things at us out of nowhere. Death, disease, loss of a job, an accident. We face troubles in our relationships. Husbands to wives, parents to children, children to parents, co-workers and siblings. We are all going to face a scenario, but the, what's going to get us through it by the help of God is knowing and thinking rightly of Him. And it is in thinking rightly of God. Think of Job for a second. Job had ten children. He was probably one of the wealthiest men in all of Palestine at the time. And in a day, he lost all of his livestock. He lost all of his wealth. And he lost all of his children. And it says that Job mourned, but in his mourning, he did not sin against God. Why? Because he had a right view of God. And so through Bible study, and that's what my hope is for tonight and through the next about 14 weeks, is that we're going to learn a lot about God through His Word. And we're going to learn it this semester through the parables of Jesus. Now, Jesus had a reason for parables. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 13, starting on verse 10. If you have your e-Bible, you can pull that out. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. I do my best to give you as much time as I can to get where you need to go. But I get really excited and I start talking fast and I don't. But I'm going to try. So Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to read from verse 10 through 17. 10 through 17. And it says, Matthew chapter 13, starts with, then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? That's a great question. It says, And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. To the one who has an abundance, or he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in this their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. But you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this, people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they cannot barely hear, and their eyes have been closed, lest they should see 
with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. And he says, but blessed are you or blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Verse 17, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear, but not hear it. So just before this passage, Jesus had shared the parable of the sower. Now, I don't want to give that away because that's my sermon for next week. So Jesus had a big crowd. He had told this story of sowers, a man going out to sow seed. And it was a riddle in a sense. And the disciples, they themselves were a bit confused. They didn't themselves understand, as we see later, that Jesus actually explains the parable of the sowers to his disciples. But in short, the reason why Jesus used parables was to teach the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to learn about that theme through all the parables of Jesus, that Jesus is trying to show us something about him or about our heavenly father or the Holy Spirit or our Christian life that we can act and live out as God would see us. So number one, it is that parables teach the secrets of the kingdom of God. To reveal to those who believe and to confuse those who do not believe. And no, I don't directly answer the questions on the sheet out loud. I just, in my head, go one, two, three, sorry. So we have to start with you and me. Or you and them. See, the you here, what Jesus is talking to, is his disciples. So we have to ask this question. What is a disciple? Or who is a disciple? Very often in, in, the, in first century uh, Israel, a young man would become a disciple of a rabbi. Now, rabbi is, a, is the Hebrew word that literally means teacher. He would be uh, an older man who has spent years and years and years studying the scripture. He himself was a disciple and now has become the rabbi. And so uh, uh, and if you were a good rabbi, you would actually have a lot of disciples. And that was actually your livelihood. Your disciples paid you to teach them the Torah and the law. So Jesus uses this with his disciples. Jesus is now the teacher and he is teaching his students. So we first have to look as ourselves, if we follow Jesus as his disciples, is to be his students or to be his followers. We are ultimately an extension of our teacher. Now, was this kind of interesting? I learned this recently is a, a, a student of a rabbi would never say, in my own opinion, da, 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 da. he would say, according to the teachings of rabbi I think, dot, 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 dot. Because you never wanted to take ownership for yourself. You wanted to actually pass it, the responsibility or the authority to someone else. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus finished speaking and the crowds are astonished because they said that he spoke to one who had authority, not like the Pharisees and the scribes. So there's something about Christ's teaching that had great weight and great authority. But ultimately, we are called to be the witnesses of God. 
Acts chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but it's referenced at your bottom. Also, a nice little t- trick thing that I do is at the bottom of every sheet are my references. So every scripture I cross-reference is there at the bottom of the sheet. So you don't have to worry about scribbling everything down. It's there. You can circle it, highlight it, underline it, start, whatever you'd like. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to the disciples, and you will be my witness to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Greek word for witness is Matras, Martras, M-A-R-T-U-S. It is the same word we get martyr from. Now, martyr at first didn't mean someone who died, but because of the witness of the early Christians and they died for their faith, the term martyr was ascribed to a Christian who died. And thus we now have the great book of martyrs, if, if you ever have read that. But there is something in us that we have now gone out to do something for God. That we have committed our lives to a cause to teach what Jesus has taught us. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do as, as is the you. Is Jesus talking to you as his disciples? He's calling you to be his witness. And the witness is to the truth. Simply put. Jesus came to save sinners by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. If you ever need to explain the gospel, it's those few words that Jesus came to save me, to forgive me my sins by dying on the cross and raising from the dead. The first disciples saw this firsthand. They they actually witnessed This is what we read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke actually was not a disciple. He was a a doctor who did some scholarly work. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke followed Jesus. And and this is their testimony of what they saw. Actually, I've got to fix that. Mark was not a disciple of Jesus. He got his testimony firsthand from Peter. But this is firsthand account of what Jesus did. And it's for us. So that we can know and that we can share it with others. And, and this is the power of, of what a disciple would do is would learn and then to teach. And this is basically what you and I are called to do today. Now let's talk about the them. Now real quick, as I was prepping this, I, I don't want us to get an elitist mentality. Because in this world, as we all know, there is an us versus them. There's a left wing versus right wing. There's a woman versus man. There's a black versus white. There's a whole lot of divides in our community. Yes, we would agree. See, in Christianity, we we can't go into the world saying, y'all are sinners. You're going to hell. Get away from me. I'm, I'm God's chosen. I'm elite. I'm special. Now, you are special, but... Not in, not in that sense. Do you understand? You, you can get closed-minded as a Christian where you don't want to share what you believe with someone else because you might feel that they might change you or something. But it is for them, for us to go. But now let's talk about them. The them that Jesus is actually talking about in this moment are the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the church. 
It's in, if you want to turn there to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 22. These people, this is honestly one of the scariest Bible verses in my mind. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? See, these people here were religious. They did things, but they did not know Jesus. They thought that the miracles that they worked and the signs and wonders that they performed and the the righteous life that they lived and the holiness that they carried about was what they did and that that was enough for them to be saved. Not believing that Jesus, as I said, died for their sins and rose from the grave. See, they weren't in relationship with Jesus. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders did that. They they knew the law. Think real back. This is not in your notes. But think back to the the proclamation of Jesus. Right? That that Jesus had was been born. There's a star in the sky. The, the, The wise men are coming from the east. They stop in Jerusalem to see where this king would be born. They go to Herod, say, The star of David has risen in the sky and we've come to praise the new king of Israel. Herod goes, what? So he does what any ruler would do. Where are my wise men? Where are my wise men? And he called the religious leaders and chief priests together and says, tell me about this Messiah. Where is he to be born? And they said, well, in Bethlehem. And Herod tells the wise men, you go and seek out this Messiah and then come back and tell me. See, no one else went with the wise men. No one else went to go see this Messiah. They stayed comfortable right in their box, in the temple, in their synagogues, in their houses. But never did they wander outside to really know God. The whole prophecy of Jesus was given to the prophets and through the law, and they, these guys knew it, but they refused to act upon it. And that's what I think of when I read this passage, is they did good things. Actually, to be honest, the, Jesus says, unless your righteousness is that of the Pharisees and scribes, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a really sad thinking thought. I'm not that good. To be honest, none of you are that good. With a smile. But we, we do this. We, we think that, well, if I just avoid this sin or that sin, if I just do this or that, if I tithe a little bit more, if I serve on Saturday, if I come to church every Sunday, if I memorize the Bible verses, if I do, 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 but never once go, God, I love you and I need you. This is where you fall. You fall in this them category. Right, because if you, if you turn back a couple pages back to Matthew 13, it says, For their eyes they do not see, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. 
They, they have just gotten so caught up in the systems and what they have that they're unwilling to take that step out to believe, to exercise that belief that maybe this is the true Messiah, that they put their real hope and trust in them. Now, there's some warnings about this. And if you want to flip over to John chapter 9, John, the Gospel of John chapter 9. Should be three books to the right. This might be my favorite story within the Gospel of John, but I don't have time to read it all. But there's a point where a man who was born blind and he's been healed by Jesus and he's being questioned by the Pharisees. So down at John chapter 9, verse 28. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple. And then they said, but we are the disciples of Moses. Even there, they're declaring their own ignorance. Moses pointed to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But the blindness, their arrogance and their pride and their self-righteousness kept them from seeing this. One other reference not in your notes. John chapter 3. We would all know John 3, 16, correct? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Just before that, Nicodemus has come to see Jesus at night. Very secretive. He was a Pharisee. He was a high-ranking official in the Sanhedrin, the governing body of the Jewish people. But he had some good questions for Jesus, and he really wanted to talk to him. So he comes to Jesus by night, because that's what you do when you don't want to be found. And he says... How do I inherit eternal life? How do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And then he says, well, how can a man enter his mother's womb when he's old? And basically Jesus says, you have the prophets and the law. You teach these things, but you do not know. This was the blindness that they were subject to. Actually, that's John. There it is. John chapter three, verse 10. Not 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. So on the bottom of your sheet, scratch out the one. It's John chapter 3, verse 10. Just fix my error. All right, turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 2. Starting at verse 6, it reads, Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, meaning it's not wisdom of that time, but, it's, but of rulers of this age. So meaning it's not of what we've learned in school or what the government is teaching us, who are doomed to pass away, no different today, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, right? Jesus says the parables reveal the secrets of God. Paul is saying the wisdom that he has reveals the secrets and wisdom of God, which God decrees before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have been crucified the Lord of glory. That he's saying that if the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious rulers in Jerusalem knew the truth about Jesus, they would have never put him on the cross. But they did. 
But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That's a beautiful promise. These things God has revealed to us. Who is this us? Disciples of Jesus. Through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. I don't have enough time to get in that one, but it would blow your mind. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this word not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, inter interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. There are some things that if you start talking at work about your Bible study or what you're reading or what you've been praying about or how you've exercised your faith to get through a hard thing and your friends with the good catch you like deer in the headlights and you go, what? That's why. There are things that we will only understand as Christians that the world will not see or understand or they, because they just simply cannot the, nature, the natural person does not accept the things that are the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And this is why we study the Bible. To develop the mind of Christ. I would love to say you could snap your fingers and just have it. But I've been going at this for like 25 years and I'm still not there yet. But it's a continual effort that we put forth to seek after the mind of Christ. Another reference to those who do not understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting at verse 1, it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. I, I, I love this passage. It's highlighted and underlined in red because I know that my ability to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ is because of the mercy of God. What God has given me, I am able to do this, and I am very thankful for it. We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the disgraceful, under, underhanded ways, the ways of this world, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would command ourselves, commend ourselves to everything conscious in the sight of God. Meaning we have done everything which is right in the word by God's word. And we stand before him blameless. Even if our gospel is veiled, meaning even if I did my hardest and did my best, but no one heard. Knowing it is veiled by those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Christ's sake. For God who said, let the earth, and for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. It is the light that is now in us 
Jesus says that I am the light of the world. And if I am in you, then you are the light of the world. So if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you are now light, shining in the darkness. If I had my big Q-beam flashlight and I shine in your eyes, what would you do? Right? You protect your eyes because it's bright. The world does the same thing. When we go out into the world and when we don't laugh at the dirty jokes and when we don't go to the places that lead to sin, when we don't do things that are are sinful or or mischievous or cunning or rude or, or greedy, but we act in light, the world doesn't like it. Because what happens is their own sins are being revealed. So when, when we walk as Christ would walk, we shine light into the darkness. So a little bit more about us and them. I want to encourage you as you study these parables, as we go through these parables, that you consider two cities. Two great cities that you probably have heard of twin cities Sodom and Gomorrah in the city of Nineveh Sodom and Gomorrah and Nineveh in Genesis 18 the Lord comes to Abraham to say I am going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sins he doesn't list out their sins but their sins are great It wasn't just one sin or one group of sin. They were just a sinful people. They they were idolaters or pagans. They worshiped. They did atrocious things before the Lord. The interesting thing is that they had just been saved by Abraham a couple chapters prior. That uh, some people of the hills came down and invaded the valley and took all their plunder and all the cities and all the people out of the towns. And Abraham, sent by God, comes and rescues Lot and rescues the kings and restores these cities. But instead of walking in the way of the Lord, they return to their wickedness. But in verse 22, it says that Abraham interceded. He stood before the Lord. Literally, he stood in the gap between God and the city of Sodom and said, If you find 50 righteous... Will you spare the city? God says that there's 50. And then Abraham says, well, what if five less? God says, well, yes, for 45. Hey, my God, but five, five less? Yes, for five less. All the way down to 10. God was willing to spare a great number of people in all their wickedness if he could find 10 righteous people. That is the mercy of God. Unfortunately, some people hype up on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and not the mercy that God showed it before he destroyed them. We can have that attitude that Sodom and Gomorrah needs to be destroyed. And you replace that town with Hollywood or Tampa or Orlando or Miami, you name the city, New York, LA, San Francisco, don't care. If you have the attitude that God needs to wipe that city off the faith of the earth, you do not have a Christian heart. Because that is not the mercy of God. But let's look at Nineveh. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, God says to Jonah, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim my message. As we know, Jonah said, No, 
I'm going the other way. So instead of going the 500 miles from Jerusalem to Nineveh, he goes 500 miles in the opposite direction, gets caught up in a storm, ate by a fish, and vomited. I love how the Bible uses language. Gets thrown up on the beach. And then it says, and the Lord appeared to Jonah a second time. I love the God of second chances. I love my God of second chances because I've used a lot of second chances. And I'll read it real quick because it's better read. Almost there, almost there, almost there, almost there, almost there. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. So that puts it about 21 miles or so across. It's a very big city. Consider Atlanta. Big. He goes one day journey in. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey in. He called out one sentence. Yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth and the greatest of them to the least of them. That's the gospel. That, that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, that whomever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. So this should be our mission as Christ's disciples, that we are willing to be his witnesses. That we won't have a us-versus-them mentality. That, that we will learn and search these scriptures because... There are two groups of people. There are those who will hear, but have not yet. And those who will hear, but not believe. And thus the, the purpose of parables. And as we get through the next handful of weeks, we're going to learn how to share the good news of Jesus. We're going to learn about salvation, heaven, and hell what a disciple looks like and how we can act it out. The beauty of prophecy is that Christ is allowing it to be fulfilled and we can see it. Many of it we can actually already see. And so as you read through Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8, which all share very similar passages, including this last one, here in Matthew 13, verse 34, it says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And here's the beautiful part. Going back a couple of verses to verse 17. And truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see. Think about that for a moment. We're able to touch and read and highlight and understand what for thousands of years people were proclaiming but had not seen yet 
but we get to see it. We get to live it. There's generations and generations of people longing for the coming Messiah and never saw him. But now we get to be the heirs, the great, great, too many great grandchildren of those who sowed this first seed. And we get to see it and touch it and make it real. So this is my heart as we move forward through this study. I want you to ask these couple simple questions. What is, this, what is the purpose of this passage of Scripture? Who is Jesus talking to? We've got to understand the context. And ultimately, what is he talking about? What, what is he trying to say? Use your own words. Put, read it in your own words and, and voice it in your own words. And then we have to ask the next question, how do we apply it? How, how do we take the Scriptures? And if you see under number two, you see specs. For those of you who wear glasses, that's what... I didn't write this. I borrowed it from someone else. Does this passage speak of any sins to be forsaken? Does this passage... Is there any promises to be proclaimed? E, is there an example to be followed? C, is there a command to be obeyed? And C, is there stumbling blocks or hindrance to be avoided? Is there something in this passage that speaks of sin or a promise of God... An example given, a command, or a stumbling block. Something that God's warning us of that we can avoid. I hope at your table times that you can discuss this. Let's make this real. The Bible is like sunscreen. It only works if applied. You can learn all you want. You can memorize all you want. But if you're not applying it to your life... You're just really smart. In a world of trouble. So let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you so much for this time together. I thank you for this group. I thank you for what you're doing through this teaching. I thank you what you've done through Jesus as he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. Right now, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who has not put their trust in you, Lord, I just pray that you're speaking to their hearts, that you remove that heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, that you pour out your spirit into them as your prophet Ezekiel said, and that we can walk in a manner worthy of being called your child and your witness. Be with us in our table's time. Let us learn your word and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.